So welcome to Rethink Retirement, a Next Up podcast. I'm Victoria Tomlinson. And I'm Trevor Hatton. And in this podcast, we are going to show you how you can use your skills and experience as you move into retirement. Or on retirement, as we like to call it. This is a key time in your life. And whether you're thinking of slowing right down, volunteering or taking up a new challenge, it's a lot to take in. So each episode, we're going to meet somebody who's already been through this, and we hope it's going to inspire you. And today, our guest is Jonathan Strait. Welcome, Jonathan. Um, Jonathan has created, well, I'm not really sure how to describe you, Jonathan. Um, Would an eclectic on retirement be fair? Um, You built an up and sold a business. Uh, You did uh, some work with a number of charities. You started up uh, or restarted your passion for photography and turned that into a major part of your life. Um, and I presume many more things to come. So, uh, so welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks, Victoria. It's a pleasure to be with you. I, I must say that the word retirement sort of sends a a, a, a chill down my spine. I, I, I've yeah, never, I I've never used that. it, never considered using so, it. And and when people come to me and say, so what's it like to be retired? So, I'm not retired. I haven't exactly. retired. I really have not retired. I may have retired from the business that I was running, but uh, I don't consider in any way I've retired. Um, Thank goodness. Because that, that's, that's what we later. want. Yeah, quite <laughs> right, Jonathan. So if we look at all the things that you were doing. Can you just help others just to understand a quick snapshot of your early career? And then perhaps sort of how we get to talk about, you know, your unretirement then, definitely not retirement. So I started a business in 1993. It was a supplier of waste and recycling containers. At that time, we weren't recycling very much. Mm -hmm. By the time I got out of that business 21 years later, we were recycling an awful lot. And what I did and what I was doing was part of that growth in awareness of recycling and the growth in people being given equipment and businesses being able to obtain equipment to collect their waste separately and to store, transport and dispose of that waste uh, in, in an environmentally friendly way. And it grew from literally no more than, than me and a desk to being listed on the London Stock Exchange, um, 150 staff, 30 million pound turnover, uh, our own factory, um, some fairly swanky offices in the centre of Leeds. And in 2014, I sold it lock, stock and barrel to the Irish 151 group. And that was it. I had no further dealings with them <laughs> or that business uh, at all. Um, where I am now is very, very plural. Uh, as you've heard from Trevor, I do lots of different things. In addition to everything he's mentioned, I also wrote and co-presented a television series oh, about yeah. Leeds and its history. Um, I've started uh, a vegan gluten-free food business, uh, mm. which is ticking along nicely. Um, but none of these things were in my mind at that point where I where I sold the business. It's quite interesting that where I am now is very different from where I thought I might be. Yes. That that and, and I noticed when you mentioned vegan food that you're also a published author um, of the 
marvelously titled Vegans in Iceland. So tell me a little where that where did that come from? So Vegans in Iceland is a is a book of photography and the subject of the book is a number of vegans in Iceland hence the hence the title. So as you've um, as you've explained I sort of rededicated myself to photography when I had a bit of time it's something I did when I was a kid. And I had discovered a genre called street photography, which is basically where you go and take pictures of strangers, usually without them knowing. And, <laughs> uh, and I started doing a lot of that and uh, would go off, you know, once a year, would go off on a little little jolly on my own um, to take pictures of people. You know, I had a few days in Ibiza um, without the family, which was quite fun. Um, I've done a lot of locations in Israel. I've taken photographs and um, Morocco. So, so I like to do this. And um, as a consequence of this work, there's, there's a charity in London that raises money for the ambulance service in Israel. And they saw my work and they saw that I was sort of capturing spontaneous moments. And they said, what would happen if we put you in the back of an ambulance? Do you think um, you know, with your camera, not not as a patient, obviously. Uh, do, do do you think um, you know you might be able to get some of the the sense of what's happening? Because we we commission a lot of photography, and because it's all staged, it's not very good. So I said, well, let's try. So so I happened to be there uh, doing some street photography um, as a trip I'd planned some time earlier, and they arranged a shift for me. So basically, you turn up. Uh, at the ambulance station you put a, uh, a shirt on which indicates you're part of the crew and you go off and whatever they do that day whether it's you know calming down somebody who's had a panic attack or, or or dealing with someone who's been shot or anything worse or whatever it might be you know you go with and you you observe and um, as long as I didn't photograph the face of the patient I pretty much had free reign so I took some photographs they loved them uh, they got big blow-ups of them for their office. And then we started talking about a book. And I went back, I did two more trips um, and took enough photography to fill a book. And I made a book for this charity uh, called Blood, Sweat and Tears, which was very successful for them. They gave it to their big donors. Um, in fact, we're just in the process of reprinting it and doing a second edition. So I now know I can take photographs and I can make books making books is a, a beautiful skill to have i, I had a, i had a designer helping me um but in terms of pretty much everything other than the putting stuff you know in the computer i, I do it myself and um my next destination for street photography was up for discussion and i read a book um i think it was called the hitman's guide to house cleaning or something ridiculous like that by, by an icelandic <laughs> author uh, Hilga Helmerson, I think he was called, and um, and I thought, oh, Reykjavik sounds like an amazing place. I I, I think I'm going to go there and do some street photography. But what am I going to eat as a as a plant based eater as a vegan? Mm. Um, you know, I had ideas. People were eating whales and puffins and <laughs> and things like that over there, and I was a bit worried. So I found this um, page on Facebook called Vegan Travelers to Iceland. And so began a dialogue with a lady called Vigga, who um, is a mover and shaker in the vegan community uh, in Iceland. And it became apparent that there were a number of real characters 
who were part of this vegan community, uh, there would be no issue with finding food. There are, there are probably more vegans in, in, in Iceland than anything else. Oh, you know, you know, there are very few people there anyway. So I went and I, I'd arranged shoots with all these people. These were portrait shoots. And um, I took pictures of uh, a vegan transsexual baker, uh, uh, a vegan um, uh, yoga teacher, um, who had survived cancer by embracing a vegan diet, um, a vegan uh, who teaches paddleboard yoga. This is yoga in the middle of a pond on a paddleboard. Um, a vegan who was 83 years old at the time and hadn't had any animal products in his kitchen for six decades, uh, oh, and, and so on and so on. And so I, I wrote little little biographies of these people and their portraits, and I made a book. I made another book. So, uh, so it's out there. You can buy it on Amazon if you're interested. Vegans in Iceland. Fantastic. What, what fun, Jonathan. <laughs> I, what I'm loving about this is, am I right? This was all completely, what's the word, opportunistic, if you like, that you didn't. I mean, could you have imagined doing this when you sold your business? What was in your mind then, that, what you were going to do next? What did you expect to happen? And I has couldn't have imagined it. It was opportunistic. It was also bloody expensive. Oh, really? um, but, uh, you know, I think it's what's known as a vanity project. Um, but one day people will realise it's a great book and buy all the copies I've got stuck in my garage. <laughs> <clears throat> but I think, um, you know, what I imagined would happen uh, when I left the business was that I would be inundated with offers of non-executive positions yeah. as someone who'd been uh, the chief executive of a, of a public company. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, PLCs across the land would be um, you know, yeah. banging the door down for my services. Um, and it pretty quickly became apparent that that wasn't going to happen and that wasn't the case. And so I started talking to other people. Um, you know, one is introduced to recruiters, uh, agencies who handle this kind of thing. And um, I suppose there was a realisation that, um, you know, I'm not a, a greying banker or an accountant which tends to be what most people are looking for uh, in non-executive roles. Um, and as an entrepreneur, um, well, really, the entrepreneur is already in these businesses and doesn't particularly want another entrepreneur on, on their board. Um, so it proved quite difficult to find roles of that kind. It was much easier to find roles in charities and social enterprises I was already on the board of an NGO uh, Waterwise at the point uh, I, I, I left my business. Um, so I was able to build a portfolio of a very valid uh, and useful um, sort of uh, voluntary roles. Um, I did secure a paid non-executive role um, six months in the owner of the business, realized he didn't really want the the sort of prodding and poking that a non-exec was doing and you know preferred just to get on with things uh, in his own way so so that one didn't work out um i'm also doing some paid consultancy in the space of uh, surplus food which is something i'm very passionate about and it's you know i just love being able to do these things where you know you're making a tangible difference um and so far being paid has not been the be all and end all. I, I think that's changing a little bit because, you know, one can't live on fresh air. 
and um, if you are supporting yourself through through the capital you have uh, every day you've got a bit less of it um, and there's nothing like the lack of a paycheck to sort of bring home however much you might have in the bank that you're going backwards rather than forwards financially and <laughs> that's not a great place to be yeah um Jonathan you know you're obviously um passionate about what you do what you did then and and, and what you do now mm. um so I, I, I'm just interested to hear from you about your emotional journey you know as you uh sold the business you know your life completely changed how did you feel about going through that change well it was a bit of a roller coaster uh, and i'm sure um you know if one mentions imposter syndrome that's probably something everybody on this kind of journey is going to get um you know that oh you built a business and you sold it well you just got lucky you, you know you were just in the right place at the right time and you actually have no real skills i mean you do have odd moments like that fortunately they are only moments and mm. it's easy to deal with them by actually saying no this is nonsense you know you did achieve uh, a great deal in, in in your career um i think my biggest concern um the day after the deal you know the day in fact it so happened it coincided with going on holiday which provided a bit of a cushion but i remember saying to my wife you know my biggest concern now is what do I say to people when they say, what oh, do you yes. do? Oh, yes. What do I tell people? Um, and I probably spent the first year defining myself by what had been. Yeah. So I would say, you know, oh, I used to have this business that did this yeah. and I sold it. Um, and after a year or so, I started to think, well, actually, you know, you shouldn't be talking about the past anymore. You should be talking about the present uh, and, and the future. So now I describe myself as plural. Um, and when people probe, I say, well, actually, I'm very plural. How long have you got? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I, I can tell them the various things I'm up to. So if you go back a bit then with sort of feeling a bit down and then the kind of defining yourself. Actually, I've said you're feeling a bit down. Were you feeling down or not? I, I wasn't feeling down. Okay. I mean, you know, there are these odd moments and... I think it's more about, you know, if you if you run a business, you have a big support team, you have a big support yeah, staff yeah. on your own. And particularly now in lockdown, when you, you are more on your own, more yeah. alone than, than you would have been before, because at least I used to get out and meet people and bounce off people and talk to people. Mm -hmm. Now, now, OK, one does that on Zoom, but but much of the day is spent, you know, on, on, on your own. And um you are limited in your capacity to do stuff by the energy, the mental and physical energy you have on, on a given day. And if you're having an off day, if you've had a poor night's sleep or something, you know, you, you, you can't do it. And, and yeah. um, I, I'm tough on myself. So, so what I do is I keep a journal and, and it's like a to-do list in reverse. I've actually been doing this for about six or seven years. And I just write down what I've done, what I've achieved and what's Actually, happened. That's a good idea. I just wanted to go back to that bit once you'd sold the business, though, because this bit about defining yourself, I hear it time and time and time again. And somebody said to me, you know, I just I spend five minutes explaining who I am when I used to say I'm group sales director or whatever. And I feel that every time people say I was something, 
my theory is it knocks your confidence just a little bit because you sort of don't have a I am. Would you agree with that or not? I think so. I think if you're talking about what has been, it, it, yeah. it sort of puts you in a well, it, it makes you appear retired. It makes you appear, yeah. you know, yeah. like you're past the peak and you, you've what, what, you know, the big things you've already done and you're not going to achieve anything after that. So I think it's, it's probably a poor mindset to talk uh, about the past. I mean, there are some lovely titles. I have to say, I'm not brave enough to use any of them yet but there's you know there's polymath i quite like polymath but oh. I, I think other people should call you it rather than define yourself I, somebody called me polymath before christmas i confess i had to go and look it up i quite liked it when i did read it i like that as a suggestion polymath I really is like nice. that, yeah. there's another one which is multi-hyphenate which which i think is glorious no. No. you don't like that one no so on that subject jonathan um what sort of hyphens do you think you might add to your list in the future? What what does the future hold? Well, I've written a memoir, um, and I'm about sixty percent through editing it, um, and it's a warts and all account. Um, there's a lot of funny stories in there. There's a lot of anecdotes in there, but there's also some, you know, useful business uh, advice, um, and also uh, frank admissions where I got it wrong and how the reader can perhaps avoid making the same mistakes as me. Um, and I also have given a talk several times called Biblical Billionaires, which is about characters in the Bible of exceptional wealth and how they achieved that wealth and whether there are any lessons we can take Ooh, and whether there are any contemporary equivalents. Um, so that could also make a, a, a book uh, when I've got time to sit down and write it. Um, I've spent a lot of time in lockdown interviewing other writers for a for a webinar on webinars for a, a little literary festival in North Leeds called Millim, which has moved online. And I'm the face of Millim. So I've interviewed countless uh, historians, politicians, authors. That's been great fun. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe there's somewhere I can go with that in a, in a little bit more of a professional direction. I don't know. Um that's the exciting thing. Yeah. You know, the world <laughs> remains your oyster. Jonathan, one of the things that you're talking about is it's almost like opportunities come to you, you know, things like Millen. You mentioned about the charities. We didn't really explore that. Is that coming from networking? Are you applying or are you just offering or creating? Sort of what, I, I'm suspecting it's a bit of a mix of some of this, but I'm thinking about helping other people when they're looking mm. for these things. Well, people people find me. I suppose you know people might find me on LinkedIn. Somebody might mention me because I do I do lots of mentoring. Um, you know, and it might only be a chat, or it might be two or three conversations, or it might be an ongoing relationship. But more often, I might have a chat two or three times to somebody and just sort of help them along the way. Um, the charities. The, the first one was Waterwise, which I did while I was still working in the business because I thought it would be useful. Um, to understand uh, water saving, we used to sell water saving equipment, and I thought it would be useful to be at the at the sort of cutting edge. And I'm still on that board, although likely after ten years, I'm going to step down quite soon. It's not 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 too clever to stay to stay around beyond your sell by date. Um, the Tetley I got involved with as a as a supporter, so I was approached. Um, you know, as would I would I financially support the Tetley? I was their first corporate sponsor um when they opened and then and we should explain the tetley because that's an art gallery and a bar and kitchen which 
in normal times supports yeah. the art gallery. Um, uh, but the Tetley is is doing a digital program and has got good, uh, just secured good funding for that. So they're in a good place. Um, and uh, because they knew me and then they, they realized I had a bit of time on my hands, I was asked to join their board. And then because of the skills I brought, they, they asked me to chair their commercial board. So through, through one of the other trustees, I then got into We Are IVE, which is a creativity charity. Um, Waste Aid, which is a more recent appointment. Uh, again, I'd supported them. They're a waste management charity and I donated to them and got to know them. Um, and I actually approached them and said, you know, do you think I should get a bit more involved? So they made me a patron um, and then later I became a trustee. Um, what else have I got? Um, oh, and the Real Junk Food Project, which actually I'm, I'm stepping down from shortly. Um, but again, Adam approached me. He must have, somebody must have mentioned me or he'd heard about me. And I got involved with that. And that's been very busy through lockdown, feeding a lot of needy people. Um, I've helped them raise some money, um, but they they want to go off in a, in a direction on their own now. So it's time for me to, to move on. And what I try and do is, you know, if I do something locally and it comes to the end of its term, I then try and do a similar thing nationally. Oh, yeah. So when I leave the Tetley, which which I will in a couple of years because you you know you do a set term. Uh, I would will hopefully get onto the board of a of a of a you know more nationally recognised arts arts institution. So that's my sort of strategy of trying to grow those those appointments. Um, Waste Aid, of course, is an international charity yeah. um, and growing in profile. So so also very positive to be involved with them. Um, can I ask you one more thing, Jonathan? You you certainly don't strike me as anyone who has lasting regrets in life. Um, but are there things looking back that you might do differently or um, as a consequence of that, any advice that you'd share for people who are looking forward to retirement, maybe quite soon, um, and and maybe uncertain about what, they might do well the the point at which my business was sold it was worth probably a third of what it had been at, at its peak um you know the stock market is fickle and you know my my word can't we see that at the moment yeah um but what i didn't do was think about myself and look after myself at those times so I, you know, I could have and should have built uh, a significant nest egg while, you know, while we were flying high. So that's one thing I would have perhaps done done differently. Um, I think probably what I should have done as I was leaving was try and uh, secure some non-executive positions from a man with a job and a business, you know, rather than a man who had a job and a business, and possibly that might have worked a little bit, a little bit better. Um, I did something at the time. It's, it's perhaps an interesting story to share. Um, the government was employing an entrepreneur in residence, and I knew this person who who was working at the time for Vince Cable, 
And he said to me, I've come to the end of my, my, I'm coming to the end of my year. The job is up for grabs and I think it's got your name on it. Great. You know, I'm just about to be out of my business. I can get into public life. This is, this is fantastic. And I applied for that position and I didn't even get an interview. Mm. And this was an almighty kick in the teeth. Uh, and and you're thinking, well, hang on a minute. You know, I've thought all these things, and these guys don't even want to talk to me. Yeah. Turns out they employed some, you know, serial entrepreneur worth hundreds and hundreds of millions. So I was a bit, you know, a bit out, <laughs> bit out of my league, really. Um, no, not at all. You should go but, for it. Uh, far from it. You, you know, so so I tried, and and I suppose this is the thing: you've got to try, and you've got to keep trying, and. Um, I I still apply for things that look interesting, and you know, one day, <laughs> one day I'll get past uh, the application letter. Oh, Jonathan, you surely will. I mean, one of the things that I always say to people is, you've got to kiss a lot of frogs um, to turn one into your prince, because most of them are men. That doesn't kind of quite work so well, but you know what I mean. And I think your your kind of abundance of activities is producing their own activities, you know, you know, their own opportunities from that. And I think it's a great example. And it's interesting about the finances. Actually, that's kind of coming through that people don't really address them. They sort of address them, but don't really face up to them earlier on in life. And I think that's something uh, yeah. that we should think about a bit more, actually. But also, you know, at the point you at the point you do a transaction like this, you're supposed to be ready to downsize, ready to, um, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, I've got young kids, I've got yeah. school fees. Um, well, I've got to keep them for a long time, I think, until until they can stand on their own two feet. That is a it long time be, then, Jonathan. It could be many, many years. Um, yeah. You know, I've got I've got a large house that needs a lot of a lot of expensive looking mm -hmm. after because there are be a lot of people living in it. We can't we can't move to a flat. We can't retire yeah. to you know, the, the, the cost of health sol or anything. We have to be here and, and uh, yeah. it's very expensive. And, and they want holidays and they're very expensive. <laughs> How inconsiderate. So, yeah. so yeah. Um, you know, it's probably not the kind of thing that should be giving me anxiety at, at, at my age. But, you know, I think probably it's a bit better to have to go out and make a bit of money rather than just not have to bother because yeah. I, I think it I think it it informs poor behaviour and poor choices. I think it's far better to say, okay, I've got the capital. Ideally I won't touch it. I'll I'll try and pay my way. I think that's a much better place to be. I like that because I suspect that's quite a driver to do mm. things uh and kind of focus what you're doing rather than too much of the random Jonathan uh this is fantastic. I know that you're going to inspire lots of people. Uh, Your Vegans in Iceland is an amazing book, and I love the front cover of it. I would encourage people to go and buy that. We can do the least we can do in return for your fantastic interview, Jonathan. I we think it's heavily well. discounted on Amazon. So, <laughs> so it's a good time, good time to buy. Okay, um, good and if you buy. want a copy signed, go to veganziniceland.com. And, uh, and then I can. I think we have to. We'll, we will do that. I can do that. For Jonathan, you. thank you so much. We're going to look out for you and we'll probably come back to you in a couple of years, you know, and hear the, the latest. We'd love to. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, thank pleasure. you. Pleasure. Great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
I, I've really, really enjoyed meeting Jonathan. Mm-hmm. It, you know, a lot of what he said was very consistent with things that we're hearing from people. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and some of his path sort of flowed. So from the business that he set up and ran, he, there was a bit of a transition into the charity work with waste food and waste water. Yeah. And then some things just sort of popped up. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, his, his passion in his childhood for photography, yeah. he turned into, what, two books and counting. And, you know, he's obviously just passionate about that. And the range of stuff that he's doing uh, is just extraordinary. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that, I mean, as he says, he doesn't really see himself as anywhere near retirement or unretirement, do any of us, frankly. But one of the issues about retirement is, you know, it's overused word, but mental health. And when people don't have much going on in their lives, particularly when you've been so busy so full on and then suddenly nothing it's a real problem with people's kind of sense of who they are and what they do so somebody like Jonathan I mean he will well you you can't assume but you you know I just don't see him ever having that kind of problem but it was interesting he was also very vulnerable in the process which is so helpful to others to say you know you can look on the outside really successful and he is still really successful but actually you're having you know imposter syndrome bless him and um you know, still having doubts about things. I mean, for me, what I took away was he's actually created a few brands in there around waste food, if you like, and sort of sustainability. So he's sort of creating a brand in there. Um, he has taken opportunities as they've come along. That bit was really, really interesting. I mean, I talk about it when we're talking in our workshops, talk about going from I was to I am. And that bit about having to create a new person, i.e. this new brand, if you like, um, I thought was interesting about the nest egg bit. And I yeah. don't think he's alone in thinking I could have done more yeah. earlier yeah. on. Yeah. And that bit about taking up NED roles, if you want one, do it while you're working to get that experience, because that first one is always so difficult. Paid ones are really difficult. And actually... Once you get one, the rest, the hardest one is always the first one. And it's easier to get it while you're working than once you, I was, back to that bit again. Yeah, uh, that, interesting. He obviously felt the job that he should have had and not even getting an interview. That, that would be quite common. But also... Yeah, I mean, I applied for something he, the other day and I, I I was absolutely perfect for it. Um, I got something else, but said just as well I didn't. But, you know, and you kind of... You, even now, you kind of get slightly kicked in. I would have been great for that. You don't know it, but I was perfect. So I think it's really hard, whoever you are, that you sort of taking those rejections. And it's a bit about they didn't even come back to you. That's the worst bit there. Yeah. So, oh, wow. Lots of inspiration in spades. Uh, so I would recommend anybody listening, do look at our website, uh, next-up.com. Don't forget that hyphen. And you'll find lots of other stories, lots of tips and kind of we we are listening to all of these stories and piecing together um, from all these experiences, sort of tips and ideas to help other people going through that journey. And I should mention that Jonathan is one of the mentors on our free mentoring site, helping others, particularly helping younger entrepreneurs. And we're really grateful to him for doing that and to so many of the other mentors. They're really making a difference to uh, entrepreneurs. So do subscribe to our podcast and join us next time.